In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the Spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Well, thank you, Emma. Good morning, everybody. So a violin was about to be auctioned off. And as the auctioneer examines this instrument, he sees that the color is faded, that there's nicks and chips in the wood, and the strings are certainly worn. And so when it comes time to auction this off, he doesn't put a, a high price on it. He says, we're going to start the bidding at $3. No one bids. All right, let's, let's try this again. Let's, we'll, how about $2? Anybody start at $2 for this violin? Again, nothing. All right, everybody, how about $1? $1 for this, this beautiful instrument. And again, nothing. After a few moments of awkward silence, this old gentleman in the back of the room comes forward, and he picks up the violin, and he dusts it off. And he tightens the strings and he picks up the bow and begins to play this beautiful violin number. And after a few minutes of enjoying this beautiful music, he stops and puts the violin back down. And the auctioneer says, we'll start the bidding at $1,000. I see that. How about two? And I share that old illustration to demonstrate that when the creator 
masterfully works with his creation, we not only see a greater value in the creation, but even more so we see the glory of the creator. So in that auction room, we see everybody was amazed at the sound that that violin could now make, but even more impressed at at the skills of this older gentleman who put it all together. Today, as Curtis said, as we begin our Christmas series in the book of Luke, we begin looking at the lives of these two, Zachariah and Elizabeth. But even so, I, I want us to see the glory of God on display in his attributes. Because as Champ even prayed, that the situations that they were going through may be vastly different than the situations we're going through, but we gather together and praise a God whose attributes do not change. And so as we read this story, as we get to follow it from beginning to end here of, of this birth, this miraculous birth of John the Baptist, then I want us to see the work of God through their story. That's the same work of God that's through our story. And while there's a lot of, of things about God in this passage, there are four in particular I want to point out this morning. But to start, I want us to see uh, Luke's perspective as he writes this, this narrative He's realizing there are other books out already. Matthew and Mark were were already uh, being written, and so he realizes this is not the only story being being chronicled at this time. But he says, I I, want to look at it a little differently. Matthew looks at it from the genealogy of Jesus, to walk all the way from Adam to Abraham to David and now to Jesus, 42 generations away. But to piece it all together, to thread the bloodline from Adam all the way to Jesus. And Luke gets to that in chapter 3, but Luke doesn't start there. John in his gospel starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But he, he wants us to grasp that in the beginning and connect it to Genesis 1. And say there's an even bigger picture here of the coming Messiah. And then it's not just starting in the New Testament. It's been talked about throughout the whole book of the whole Bible. But Mark and Luke begin with the story of John the Baptist. Mark jumps in right away with the adult ministry of John the Baptist. A few verses into Mark, he's already baptizing Jesus. But Luke says there's something miraculous, something amazing about this story that teaches us not just about this amazing couple, but about God at work. And so I want us to look at at Luke's perspective here. Luke is one who, among all the Gospels, really drew the most attention to God fulfilling his promises And so we begin our story here with this brief uh, bio of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. I appreciate that Luke right away is drawing our attention that both parties here in this marriage are righteous. Both are blameless. And he he connects this righteousness as saying that it wasn't because of a sin that they're barren. It wasn't going, they were really righteous except in this area. And that's why they can't have children of going, here is their lot right now. It's not because of sin, it's the way God designed it for right now. And the story continues in verse 4. It says, now while he, while Zacharias was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, 
According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There's a lot of Jewish tradition in this verse, so I want to unpack it a little bit for us. Zechariah was one of 18 to 20,000 priests serving the temple at this time. So this wasn't, he was part of a small staff, he was part of 12, that this is what they did all the time. It was, it was a tremendous amount of priests. And so as they broke down who, which division of these priests got to work the temple and work these certain roles uh, for this month, for the next month, for the next month, this was all organized well in advance. And as they're looking at it, I imagine Zechariah had this date circled on the calendar for some time. This was, as one of 18,000 priests, this was his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be the priest of the incense. And so three priests every day were chosen. The first priest was one to go in to, to start the fire, to get the fire ready on the altar. The second was to prepare the incense and to get the, the sacrifice ready. But the priest of the incense was to come in as all of that is ready to serve the incense, to, to wave the incense over the fire as, as, a, as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, and then to pray. And so as the first two priests completed their tasks, they would exit the temple and wait outside the doors, leaving the priest of the incense alone and standing before this 18-inch wide, three-foot-tall altar of incense. He was there to pray. Just beyond this altar was, the, was the, the curtain, this thick, amazing curtain separating where he was with the Holy of Holies. And as this service would begin, it would start before dawn. All the worshipers would gather together. They would meet outside the courtyard, and this priest of the incense would be the first to enter the courtyard, and he would, he would bang on this gong to let the worship team, the Levites, gather together to be ready to lead the singing. And then these three priests would enter. And when the other two priests would come out, that would indicate to the whole group standing there that it's time for us to pray. And so we find Zechariah here alone in the temple. In verse 10, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. There's a massive reason. There's several reasons why Zechariah would be scared right now. It's been 400 years since God has spoken to a prophet to declare his word to Israel. Since an angel has appeared to anyone, it's been 400 years that these priests have walked through the daily sacrifices and the high holidays and still no word from God. You can imagine the effect that that has on hope. The effect that that has on just your meticulous, detail-focused approach to doing your job. And so these priests have been studying and teaching the, the prophecies of the prophets of going, what is to come? What are we still anticipating? And these words from Malachi Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It's the last two verses of the Old Testament. They read this way. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This is great news 
But this is only half of the verse. It says, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. You're going, this is, God is saying, I'm going to rescue all of my people. or I'm going to wipe them out and start over again. And these are our options. We have not heard from God for 400 years. And now an angel is appearing before me. Imagine for Zechariah, he's thinking the decision is made and I, as the representative of Israel, get to either be the mouthpiece or I get killed to indicate this is what's happening. If a sacrifice was not acceptable, it was believed the priest would be killed as an indicator to Israel. And so he is petrified here. And like an angel says before every person they interact with when they come and visit somebody, what's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, in verse 13. And he calls him by name. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now the prayer that, that the priest is praying over the incense at this time in the temple is not a personal prayer. He's not there on his own behalf. He's not there going, God, now that it's finally me and you, here's what I want. He's going, God, I'm praying as a representative of Israel. I'm asking for forgiveness of our sins. I'm asking for a coming Messiah that's been promised so long ago. And to hear an angel say, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. We learn in, in Zechariah's response in the next verse or two, that prayer was not a prayer he was likely praying any time recently. That was a prayer he and his wife had prayed for years, but, but since then, it, the reality of that actually happening has stopped him praying for that. And so the initial response of, I've heard your prayer, maybe going, excellent, you've heard my prayer for Israel, and he's going, no, 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 I've heard a different prayer. I've heard a prayer that you and your wife were praying for a son, and, and, and I've come to let you know that's what's going to happen. As we look at the attributes of God, one of the ones that jumps out right here that we learn about God is that God is listening even when it doesn't seem like he is. That prayer that we were praying for years ago, that just the hope of it actually coming true, that the frustration of being met with not yet or no in our answers, in our, in our praying has, has probably whittled the hope of even praying that again, maybe even stopped us from praying. God, we asked for this for so long. And now we don't see how it's even possible that this would be a thing. The angel reminds Zechariah, I was listening the whole time. God was paying attention and he heard it. And it wasn't until right now that that's going to be true. That we're going to answer that prayer with yes. So Zechariah is now reeling, as I can imagine. He's going, wait, wait, wait. You, what we've prayed for for so long is going to happen. And, and I stop here before the next four verses of, of hearing the angel describe what this child is going to become, what he's going to do. And I begin to think if, if when my first son was born, before that time, when I learned that, that we were expecting, if I could hear from an angel, from, from anyone who would tell me, we know what your child is going to become, and here's what it's going to be. If I could imagine the statements I would love to hear somebody tell, I would be so, so desirous or honored to hear that my child was the one that found the cure for a disease, or, or led a great movement, or 
or even not even a career base, just a character thing, that they were somebody who was known for their kindness, known for their generosity, known for how well they cared for people, known that they had a passionate love for God. What would I want to hear? And here Zechariah gets to hear what his son is going to be. And I want to show you these all in one shot to hear just the overwhelming amount of things that he would hear about the son that he's been praying for. Verse 14 says this, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, for he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, before the Messiah, in spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the Lord, a people prepared. This last verse, I think, among all the things that's sticking out to him, going, I know this verse. I've heard this verse. This is Malachi. This is God saying back then, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Before I send the Messiah, I'm sending my Elijah. And what's he going to do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This is it. That God has chosen that first option of Malachi 4, that he's saying the total destruction, no, that I'm still going to deliver my people, and I get to go through you and use you, Zechariah, to see that prophecy come true. Because when the angel shares this verse, when he quotes from Malachi 4, it doesn't end with total destruction. It ends that, that this Elijah coming is going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. can't imagine Zechariah's response to all of that, and yet he has this moment, moment of humanity, where he's going, this is incredible news, this is what we've been waiting for for so long. Okay, but how? How's all this going to happen? I'm an old man, and my wife, well, she's advanced in years too. We see another attribute of God here. And that's that God uses what we think is unusable. We can be so convinced that, God, this is, this is the plan. How in the world are you going to get it done? And instead of taking it to him, instead of surrendering that to him, we answer for him. We go, how? I have no idea. Therefore, this must not be what God wants. We see the disciples go through the same thing. When there's 5,000 people on a hillside, they're going, these people are starving. We need to get some food. And so they... They go through the crowd and they go, the only thing we have is these couple of fish and couple of loaves of bread we stole off some kid's lunch. It's all we got. How can you possibly use that? And Jesus says, I'm going to take care of the how. I want you to do the what. When I lead you to a who, I want you to respond. Don't worry about how it's going to work. Don't worry about the when. I'm taking care of that part. But too often we can easily go, there's, there's no way in our mind we can see how this works. And I'm reminded of the testimonies we've seen in our baptisms the last year. In many of them, you hear a story of, of a college student who was home for Thanksgiving. And an uncle was led to ask a question. How are things going at college? Have you found a church? A time where everybody else is sleeping or watching football, the trip to fans kicking in. But, but the uncle was led to ask a simple question. 
And that led this young man to be to beginning into a conversation and then coming back going, my faith has always been my parents, really, but now I get the chance to make it my own, and he makes those decisions, and he says, I want the world to know that I believe in Jesus, all because an uncle said, I'm going to speak up, I'm going to say something. We hear the story of a sister who texted another sister going through a hard time, and that text led to a very powerful conversation that led her to the church, that led her to open up her Bible, and God did... I'm, did I'm going to take care of the how for you. All I need you to do is send a text. We hear story after story of an invite to youth group. Of something so simple. You would go, man, it's not, it's not even that big of a deal. But what's God going to do with that? God says, I'm going to take what you think is completely unusable. And I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to show you that, that even these steps, that when I put somebody on your mind, text them. Do something about it. I'm going to take care of the how. I'm going to work all that out in my timing, in my plan. Are we obedient in the very, very simple things? And yet in his moment of doubt, as Zechariah is, is stuck here, trying to figure out God's plan, the angel responds. He responds very briefly, very simply. He said, I need to give you my name. I need to give you my job, my position. And I need to give you my mission right now. He says, Zachariah, listen to me. My name is Gabriel. And my job is that I stand in the presence of God all the time. And my mission right now is to come and talk to you and to give you this good news. But, but because there's doubt, because you're, you're questioning and wondering it, that, that he has to continue, he says in verse 20, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you have not believed my words, which will be fulfilled in my time. I praise God for this next attribute. Not that I don't for the others, but this third attribute is that God fulfills his promises even when we doubt. God says this promise is going to be true. I hope you believe it. I hope you get on board. I hope you see it around you. But even if you don't, it doesn't mean it's not happening. And how many times are we that way? Where we don't necessarily have an angel telling us what's coming. Or where we simply go, God, I have no idea what you're doing here. You told me you're with me. I don't see it. You told me you're never going to forsake me, that you hear my prayers, but really been doubting lately and I hope we see that God fulfills those verse 21 we see that people are waiting for Zechariah and they're wondering at the delay in the temple see this was a time where the service wasn't done when the priest prayed the priest would finish his prayer and come back out and address the people again and, and most of the priests or the priests had agreed the prayer inside is going to be a certain length just so they don't think God killed you and there's panic in the people. So keep the prayer short and sweet. Pray these certain things. We're going to make sure it's within the time frame that the people are ready for. But this timing is taking longer. Verse 22 says, And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the priests exit the temple... It was a sign to the people that God had accepted their 
their offering for the day. It was also a time for the priest to then bless the people. They would often quote number six, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And that was the sign to the people that, yes, God has accepted our sacrifice. Our prayers have been heard. And, and that was the cue to the worship leaders, to the Levites, to lead in the singing of the psalms of the day and conclude the service. And so here comes Zechariah outside. He can't say a word. All he can do is try and sign to communicate to the people, God has heard you. And he gives you peace and a blessing. And, and man, if I could get out what this blessing is going to be right now, you would certainly celebrate, but he can't put any words out. He gets to be a silent front row seat observer to how God is going to do all of this and work it out. But he can't communicate it. So the Levites lead the song, and it says there in verse 23, when his time of the service was ended, he went to his home. I can't imagine the chaos in his head on this walk home of the excitement of what you've just heard, mixed in with some shame that you couldn't finish the one day you were preparing for your whole priestly ministry of going, I, I, I came out of the temple and I couldn't even say, I couldn't finish the job. Because he's wrestling with anger in himself of going, why did I doubt? Why did I even verbalize it? If I just kept my mouth shut, man, the next time an angel tells you something's gonna happen, just say thank you. Don't start voicing, but what if, what if, just accepted. Why couldn't I keep my mouth shut? But now he, he's going to go home. And I can imagine Elizabeth knowing this date was circled on the calendar. is waiting at the front door just to go, how did it go? I can't say it. He can't say a word of it. And this is the thing he's been praying for. This has been their heart cry as a couple. And he can't share it. Praise God that the story doesn't end there. We see 24 and 25 where as, as he tries to communicate this to his wife, we read in, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Her barrenness was something that was so shameful for her, for them as a couple. And here she's saying, this is why God I didn't see it then. I was so frustrated then. I never saw it. I stopped even asking for it. And here it is. Here's your fulfilling that prayer. We read later on in the chapter how this story concludes or how this, this birth comes to fruition. In verse 57 we read, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. This is the first Word of the angel that said he will bring joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. It's already happening. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Zachariah was able to communicate that to her at least to that point. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called and he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all of their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. 
saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. The fourth attribute that I want to point out this morning in this passage is simply this, that God's plan and timing are for our good. Elizabeth realized that here at the end of going, for so long I was pushing against you. For so long I was going, God, why? God, do you still love me? God, do you care about me because you haven't given me this? And he goes, wait, wait. There is a plan for it. I have a plan to show the glory of God through this. And I realize there would be some of us here, some, some couples, some families that are going, that's, that's the same situation where I'm at. And I'm not here this morning to promise you that if you wait long enough, God will grant you a child. But I can tell you, God has a plan for it. And even though right now the timing may feel like this is pretty crummy, that we've been waiting for so long and our hearts are broken, that God still has a plan for whatever we're going through. He hears us. So I imagine a sweet moment as, as Elizabeth hands baby John to, to Zachariah and he can finally talk to his son. He can finally pray over his son. But once he's asleep, she kind of goes, can you finally now tell me what happened in the temple? I want to hear it from you. And as he recalls the details, as he gets to finally say it out loud, he can't help but, but praise God that he's a God who listens when it doesn't seem like it. That God was using what we didn't think was usable. That God was fulfilling his promises even when we doubted. And that God's plan and timing are for our good and they're perfect. Will you pray with me? Father, I praise you for, for what you've done in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. I praise you for showing yourself to them, reminding them, reminding us today of who you are. God, in the midst of a culture that is ever-changing, in the midst of a culture that is getting harder and more complicated and confusing and frustrating, that, God, you remain the same. And so, Father, as we, as we praise you, as we, as we sing Christmas carols, as we sing worship songs, as we read your word, as we walk through these challenges every day, God, may we hold on to the fact that you are not changing, that you're listening to us. God, you have a plan for us, and so God, give us the patience, give us the discipline to continue living a life of surrender to you, that we can continue being faithful to you in what you've called us to do. God, give us eyes to see your plan as it unfolds, and so God, we ask your blessing on our time this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.